How's the church family? Welcome online. So great that you could join us this morning. It is an empty building, unfortunately, just the band and the tech team. But we are here today for an audience of one, and we are going to sing and worship. So if you're at home in your pajamas still, won't you worship with us? Sing as loud as you can, and let's give God some glory this morning.
as a family even though we're not together thank you Lord In Jesus name amen amen welcome everyone I'm Shavar I hope you all are doing well and keeping safe and it's so awesome that we get to join you and you get to join us online and I hope you comfy grab a cup of coffee or tea so just a few things for this week so John will be preaching the second part of our series, David's Other Goliath. And Debbie spoke last week about fear, and this week, this week John is going to be talking about the issue of depression. So some of you may know that Homeground Kids and Coffee has closed because of Level 4 lockdown. And it's super, super unfortunate. But every day, from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m., they will be selling all our hot beverages as well as muffins and brownies. So guys, I really encourage you, come early before work or come early and grab a coffee and um, some baked treats or come park your car, go do your exercise, you're running, you're cycling, and then come and grab a coffee and some treats. It'll be awesome. The other thing that Kids and Coffee is doing is frozen meals, guys. So we know it's quite rough, um, everyone, all the whole, the whole family being at home and getting meals prepped and stuff. Come and support them. Get your meals. Super easy, super convenient. We want to love them and we want to support our family, Homeground Kids and Coffee. So when I remember <laughs> when I first got my proper salary, right? When I first got my proper salary, I loved seeing that SMS come on my phone. It was the best feeling ever. I love seeing it when that money comes through into my account. And I loved it so much. It's like, I can't explain it. It's, 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 it's just, it's a really good feeling. And then the debit orders come. And the overspending happens. And then by the 7th of the month, I'm too scared to look at my banking app to see how much money I have left. And as I continue to get a proper salary, I realize that I slowly became more fearful of my money. There's a word called chromatophobia. It's the fear of money. And it might not seem relevant to you at the moment, but let me just share with you this verse. In Matthew 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, 
or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. What does it mean to serve God? It's to fear God. Then why do we serve money by fearing it? Why do you fear if you're going to have enough money? Why do, you, you, why do we fear in our giving? Why do we fear that money is our source? Let's stop fearing money. Let's rely on God to overcome this big Goliath in our lives. So we're going to give you an opportunity now to give, and the details will be on the screen. And I'm just going to quickly pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you have given us the opportunity to give. I thank you, Lord, that fear isn't part of your godly, of your godly genes and that we are not of fear. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us to give generously, that we may reap generously. Thank you, Lord, for this worship space. Amen. So besides worshiping God in our giving, something else we do as a family is something called Family Matters. So please watch the screen. How's it, Homeground Church? Awesome to be here with you. And you'll see that I'm here today with Sagrin and Becky. It's really great to have them back here. They are missionaries um, from our church that are serving in Central Asia um, in a creative access nation. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah, creative access nations. Uh, a lot of the countries you can just walk in with a normal visa, stay and do whatever you want to do. But a creative access nations means that they don't give you permission uh, to come into the country because they've come out from like a Soviet bloc or a communist country. So you have to have a job or a purpose to be there. So this is a creative access nation. Amazing. Thank you for that explanation. Um, it's so good to have you guys here. Um, so good for me to be allowed to see your faces. Um, the reason obviously you are not seeing their faces is for that very reason that they're serving in a creative access nation. And so for security reasons, their faces aren't allowed to be online. Um, but tell us, what is God doing in Central Asia? We're taking the word challenge and we are eradicating it from a lot of our vocabulary because we're seeing opportunity. God's opening up doors. And if you are in tune with the Spirit, you see the opportunities and you plug in. And right now we're looking at different opportunities that we are seeing, especially in rural areas. Now, I want to tell you a story about uh, a conference that we run in Central Asia, uh, where we've got a group of ladies that go into different rural areas and they gather women that have come to faith and that are isolated in their faith and they gather them together once a year. Now these women cannot worship in their homes because their entire family are not believers. Uh, the village is not believers. So the village is like a giant clan. And if you step out of Islam, you can get killed, you can get persecuted, all of these things. So these ladies gather them once a year together and they come into this place where they just absolutely soak in the word, worship together and just be filled and go out again. But this is an opportunity for them to do this because they cannot do this and they can't. Sure, that's beautiful. Wow. So obviously you guys are on the field and we are here. 
one of the things that we can do is to pray. But what I wanted to ask you today is, do, our, do you feel like our prayers even work? Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. I, I feel it time and time again. But I remember one very specific time. Um, the area we used to live in Central Asia was very, very closed and had um, a lot of security and a real spirit of oppression and fear upon it. Um, and I remember coming back with the kids after being in South Africa and us walking around and there were tanks and there were soldiers with guns and everywhere we went we had to show ID or do thumbprint um, and this one day I was so gripped by fear and looking around me and just seeing the physical reality of where we were and just that real spirit of fear and oppression um, and that whole day I walked around and I just felt that grip around me and I couldn't shake it no matter what I was trying to do and thinking specifically even about the kids, raising the kids there with that around us. And then suddenly it was four o'clock in the afternoon and I suddenly had this huge sense of peace that just flooded me. And I know it was God and I know that somebody was praying for us at that very moment because there's no way that that sort of peace just overtakes you in that situation. So absolutely, when people pray here, you don't know what's going on over there but prayer makes a huge difference to us. And there are many, many stories of times that that's happened with us. Sure, that's great to know. So keep praying, home ground, keep praying. Um, last question, what's something that you think is important for our church to know right now? I think uh, the impact that uh, we make as ascending church. Uh, you know, we went into an area where there was no church in, in the beginning and God started to work. but when you don't send then no impact is made and one of the most exciting things that is happening right now is us seeing muslim background believers saying we want to go to the nations mm -hmm. and one of the exciting things is we're preparing them we've got the tools god's prepared us <clears throat> we know how to do this and now we can prepare them and so every year we gather in four different uh, places we gather people together that are Muslim background believers and we give them three days of training and we send them out amongst their own people sure. and the impact it's having uh, we send three teams out uh, from one particular city where we are based and uh, we send them out to different areas and they came back sharing the gospel with 130 people yeah. and nine people gave their hearts to the Lord now nine people in, in my time uh, in Central Asia we've, I've been there for about 24 years now in my time in Central Asia, I've seen six people come to faith and discipled. And just imagine sending these guys out for two weeks and they've seen nine people come to faith and 130 hear the gospel. But the amazing thing right now is that they have, a lot of these guys are getting the heart to go further afield than just the countries that they're living in. And they want to see churches planted in different Muslim countries around the world. Yeah. And so they're making that stand and stepping out and saying, yeah, I am Father, use me. Yeah. And they'll bring out. Oh, it's beautiful. Yo, that's so great. Anything you want to say, Becky? Yeah, I want to say thank you. Thank you to Home Ground for sending us. Thank you for being our home ground that we can come mm -hmm. back to, for praying for us, um, sending us with finance and checking in with us and encouraging us. We cannot go without you. So thank you so much. Awesome. And thank you guys for this time. Thanks for being here. It's so great to see you. Um, keep praying, Home Ground Church. How's it home? Alrighty. So I just thought of something whilst we were watching that video. Our hope for Sagan and Becky was that we could see them this morning, at least 50 of us, and, 
and maybe pray for them or encourage them. So I want to challenge you, send them an email, feedback at homeground.org.za and just encourage them. They're, they're in the, another part of the world where we can just be of prayer and of encouragement. So why not send them an email and we'll get it to them. Janice taught you a song last week. It's called Battle Belongs and it's about prayer, being on our knees. And that's where we need to be coming into this week. So let's sing it together.
whilst John comes up, I'd just like to pray for him. God, this morning, we pray for your word that it might go out over these cameras and on this internet and change people's lives. Won't you be with him, give him clarity of thought and mind, and may the words of your scriptures change our hearts. All God's people said, amen. Thanks, John. Amen. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, worship team. Thanks, Sagrin and Becky. And thank you for deciding you needed to join us this morning. And thank you to Nikki for translating for us for our deaf community. So I know that this may sound impossible to you, but I wanna tell you something about myself. I used to be young and stupid. <laughs> True story, I did. I used to be young and stupid. Now I'm, well, now I'm just old and stupid. But, but the reason I say that is because I can remember as a young person, oh, we're not very young, I mean, I was an adult already, but in ministry, and I was doing awesome stuff, and I used to say things like this. I don't get heart attacks, I give them. I don't suffer from stress, I create stress for other people. And, and I believed it when I said it. And then one morning after a bout of flu, I woke up and I turned to Colleen and I said to her, I'm feeling physically better, but I'm not going to work today. She looked at me, she said, well, I said, I just, I, 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 I'm useless. I, I, I don't think that I've made any difference in anything in my life. I'm a failure. And she looked at me and she said, two things, John, you're wrong and you're going to the doctor. And I remember sitting in front of the doctor talking and crying. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. I, the, the church I was in, we were in the middle of an amazing opportunity. We'd, we'd started a huge clinic for people with HIV AIDS. Things were going so well. And I just felt like a failure. I just didn't want to do anything. And the doctor looked at me. She said to me, John, you are burnt out and you're suffering from depression. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I don't cause the stress, I give stress. I don't have heart attacks, I give them. Well apparently, that's not true. Apparently even somebody like me, who has a disposition of joy, whose default setting is optimism and excitement and happiness and joy and who has a great life and a fantastic family and should just be feeling awesome every day can suffer from depression. Not only me, millions of people. The sermon is not for depressed people. The sermon isn't about you if you're suffering from depression. And this sermon is not psychology, although I'm gonna talk about that. This sermon is about the reality of depression in our world. 
And it's for everyone. It's for those of us who have suffered from depression and those of us who will and those of us who never have but who love people and know people who have suffered from depression. This sermon is about what the Bible says about depression and how the Bible asks us to respond when we see depression in our family and in our community. So the first thing I want us to remember is that depression is real and it is everywhere. Depression is real and it is everywhere. And as we explore that this morning, I wanna tell you that we're gonna discover a few things. We're going to talk about what depression is, how common it is, what are its causes, and then most of all, what difference should a faith in Jesus Christ make around the issue of depression? Let me tell you that depression is so common that not even being in the Bible exempts you from depression. Not even being a character in the Bible, and in fact, not even being a hero in the Bible exempts you from depression. The series is about David's other Goliaths. And as we read scripture, it seems that despite all David's amazing victories, despite all the fantastic things about his life, his, his, his anointing as a king, his wealth, his joy, his prowess in all sorts of areas, that he seemed to suffer fairly often from depression. And not just him. If you, if you look at scripture, you will see people like Jeremiah, the prophet, known as the weeping prophet, or Elijah, and so many other characters that struggled with this issue of depression. I want to read two psalms to you. Now, if you, if you read the Bible, you'll notice that these psalms aren't actually attributed to David. They are, they, if you read the, the, the top of the Psalm 42 and 43, it says, the Psalms of the sons of Korah. Now, we don't know if Korah wrote them or the sons. The sons of Korah were the musicians, the guys. They were the, they, they were the, the Janices and Barrys of the temple. The guys had organized worship and led in it. And, and they may have written these Psalms or David may have written them and given it to them. Whether or not this is actually David speaking here, we know from other Psalms that we know David wrote that he suffered these deep anxieties and struggles. Let's listen. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. 
My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of the water of the waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God, Psalm 43, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Lead, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre. O oh God, my God, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Those words are beautiful, but they are filled with real pain. They are filled with wondering and lowness. They are filled with a struggling of, of knowing something about God and yet feeling something very different. Whoever this person is, they are struggling to connect with God because of something inside them that they just simply cannot overcome. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? These psalms seem almost like a case study in depression. So what is depression all about? What is depression all about? The Hebrew word here, downcast, means to be bowed down or to be prostrated. We might say, I'm feeling low or I'm in the pits. And notice, if you will, that the, the symptoms of depression that are expressed in this psalm. The NIV doesn't really capture it 100%, but, but the psalmist says, I will praise him, my savior. Literally, the expression he uses there, I will, he talks about God as the savior of his face. It's an expression we don't use that often. But it, but it points to him going, you're the my savior, you're gonna change what my face looks like and feels like in this moment. Notice that in verse three, the psalmist has lost his appetite and he frequently cries. Notice in verse three again that he can't sleep. 
In verse four, he is emotionally drained to the extreme. He describes his anguish as pouring out his soul. In verse seven, he says, I, I, I'm overwhelmed. I feel as if I were in the ocean and the waves are drowning me. In verse nine, he says, I feel deep grief. Why must I go on mourning? Is this gonna carry on forever? In verse 10, he says, it feels in his body as if his bones have been shattered. He even feels like other people are taunting him and he hears those negative voices in verse 10 telling him that he's lost and he's useless. Where's your God? In other words, he can't get out of his head the sense of being abandoned by God. He feels rejected by God, he's confused. All of these expressions you talk to the psychologists and the doctors and the medical profession will tell you that so many of these things are the very real symptoms of depression. I wanna move away from David for a moment, we'll get back to him. But there's a, there's a continuum for so many people in terms of this feeling of depression. For some of us, we are fortunate that it is an occasional struggle with discouragement. From time to time we feel despair or we feel down. In a sense, we may struggle from time to time, but at the other end of the, of the spectrum, there are those who suffer from severe, ongoing depression. If, if people struggle with a whole lot of those symptoms for more than two weeks, they're probably clinically depressed. For some, it may be two weeks or two years. And for some, it may be a lifetime. That is the reality of depression in our world. Now, some may ask, what does depression feel like? Especially if you've never experienced it. I can remember telling the doctor, I'm not depressed because I don't feel sad. Because that was my thing in my brain, that feeling sad means you're depressed. And the doctor, she didn't laugh at me. She was much kinder than that. And I want you to take a moment to watch this, this video. It's from the World Health Organization, and it describes what depression feels like. So let's watch this video. I had a black dog. His name was Depression. Whenever the black dog made an appearance, I felt empty and life just seemed to slow down. He could surprise me with a visit for no reason or occasion. The black dog made me look and feel older than my years. When the rest of the world seemed to be enjoying life, I could only see it through the black dog. Activities that usually brought me pleasure suddenly ceased to. He liked to ruin my appetite. He chewed up my memory and my ability to concentrate. Doing anything or going anywhere with a black dog required superhuman strength. At social occasions, he'd sniff out what confidence I had and chase it away. My biggest fear was being found out. I worried that people would judge me 
Because of the shame and stigma of the black dog, I was constantly worried that I'd be found out. So I invested vast amounts of energy into covering him up. Keeping up an emotional lie is exhausting. Black dog could make me think and say negative things. He could make me irritable and difficult to be around. He would take my love and bury my intimacy. He loved nothing more than to wake me up with highly repetitive and negative thinking. He also liked to remind me how exhausted I was going to be the next day. Having a black dog in your life isn't so much about feeling a bit down, sad or blue. At its worst, it's about being devoid of feeling altogether. As I got older, the black dog got bigger and he started hanging around all the time. I chased him off with whatever I thought might send him running. But more often than not, he'd come out on top. Going down became easier than getting up again. So I became rather good at self-medication, which never really helped. Eventually, I felt totally isolated from everything and everyone. The black dog had finally succeeded in hijacking my life. When you lose all joy in life, you can begin to question what the point of it is. So that's the picture. My question is, why should we even care? Is this really an issue for the church, for God's family? Well, my answer to that is absolutely it is. You see, because we are part of the world that we live in. And if you, if you know, and if you listened last week to Debbie's sermon, you will know that, that one in three people in our country are going to struggle with a mental illness in their lives. So issues like this are very, very real, not just for us as individuals, but for the community around us. The World Health Organization says depression is the second most common cause of disability worldwide after cardiovascular disease. A few years ago it was number four. It has risen to number two. And it's expected to become number one in the next 10 years. Over 350 million adults in the world are currently battling with a serious form of depression. I asked this question earlier and I want to ask it again. Does faith in God make a difference to this issue of depression? Of course it does and it should but it doesn't necessarily simply make it go away. In fact, it's a real issue in the church today. For example, in a church of 200 people, 20 of us are currently battling depression. 50 of us at some time in our lives will battle depression. And 20 to 30 of us are on antidepressants. And even if we're not one of those people, we know those people. We love them. They are part of our community. And scripture tells us that we should bear one another's burdens. And so I think it's vital, not only that we get educated about depression, but also that we as God's people do something about it. Why does depression happen? Why does depression happen? Well, before I, I tackle that directly, 
I, I want to ask this question. Do you think that Jesus battled depression? Do you think that Jesus battled depression? It seems like a strange thing to say at first. I instinctively we honest, of course not. But listen to what the prophet Isaiah says about the Messiah. In Isaiah 53 verse three he says, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 26. He's talking to his disciples, and he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I don't know about you, but it certainly sounds like someone dealing with the symptoms of depression. And so often we as Christians, when we think about that, immediately want to push back. We want to push back because I think we we understand or misunderstand some things about where depression comes from. Perhaps we've heard these false ideas that number one, depression is imagined. It's not real, and so often we tell people, no, no, it's all in your head. Or secondly, some people think it's a sign of a weakness of character. Come on, man, pull yourself together. For some, they think it's the result of sin in a person's life. And we say, well, that person's battling depression. I wonder what they did to cause that. And for others, We identify it very quickly as a satanic attack and we want to cast out the spirit of depression. The truth is, in most cases, all four of those things are wrong. In fact, the reality is depression is a fact of life. We are fragile human beings living in a fallen world amongst other people who are fallen. And even if we never do anything wrong, only Jesus can really claim that, depression may come our way anyway. Depression is not something that a person chooses, rather it is something a person must choose to deal with. The real issue is not whether a person experiences depression, but instead, how you and I as God's people respond to it if we are depressed or if somebody we love is depressed. One of the major reasons for depression, one of the the number one causes of depression, I'm sorry to say, is life. The truth is, so much depression in the world around us is caused by life. It could be emotional pain of some life event could bring it on. Research shows that adversity adversity in childhood, such as bereavement, neglect, unequal parental treatment of siblings, physical or sexual abuse, all of these significantly increase a person's likelihood of experiencing significant depression. Adolescence, 
often following social rejection or experiencing bullying or experiencing some kind of other normal struggle that adolescents so often experience end up suffering from depression. For adults, it can be caused by all sorts of things like childbirth, menopause, financial difficulties, job problem, a medical diagnosis like cancer or HIV, bullying, the loss of a loved one, natural disasters, social isolation, relationship troubles, jealousy, separation, serious injury. It's caused by life. And some people experience it, in fact most people will in some form. The temptation to respond to that is, well let's just medicate. If life is going to make it happen, let's just medicate. I want to say that like any sickness, I don't think we should just medicate. I think we should, but not just. I think every, every sickness, every illness that we encounter, especially as God's children, should, should be dealt with both spiritually and physically. Both through counseling and prayer and connection with God and seeking the proper medical help. It's never one or the other. The truth is that research shows that it's not just caused by life, but it's often caused or made worse by our lifestyle. Depression is on the increase in the world we live in today, and, and, and part of that is caused by the rush, the pressure, the complexity, and physical inactivity that most of us are caught up in. And so the truth is, we, there's lots we can do in terms of ourselves and our own lifestyles that can push back against depression or, or, or make it less invasive in our lives. But then it's not just caused by lifestyle. For many, it is caused by chemistry. Some people are biologically predisposed, genetically predisposed to struggle to restore their serotonin levels. And that's just what it is for those people. It is a real psychiatric illness with a chemical cause just like a virus or, or a bacterial infection. And we need to intervene in it both with medicine and with a spiritual offering and a spiritual reaction. Depression is real. Depression is a sickness like any other sickness. And should being a follower of Jesus make a difference? Should it be different because you and I follow Jesus? The answer I have to that is unequivocally yes. And, and, and for a number of reasons. Firstly, being a follower of Jesus helps us to see the value of suffering. I know that may sound strange, but in Psalm 7, uh, in, in the Psalm we read in verse 7, it says, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. David recognizes that part of his suffering has to do with God. It has to do with God knows it's happening. 
And, and it, is, it, it has been overwhelmingly showed again and again that human beings are able to endure suffering so much better when they know there's a purpose to it. When they know that their suffering will not be pointless, that their suffering is not in vain. In Romans chapter five, Paul says this, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. That hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter one, it says this, the God of all comfort comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. The truth is, in my own life experience, if I look back at my journal, I wish I was very disciplined with my journal, I'm not. But as I look back and I see how God spoke to me when I did burn out, when I was suffering from a diagnosed depression, I just see how amazingly God worked in my life. How he, he guided me into new understandings about him and how he's used that experience in my life to be able to help other people. The beauty of being a child of God is that no suffering, whatever its source, is ever wasted because God promises to use every kind of suffering that we may ever experience for his glory. You see, because suffering inspires us to turn to Jesus. If you go back and read those two Psalms, you will see that over and over, David turns back to God. He says, this is what I'm experiencing, but God. This is how it is, but God. I want to say this again and again as I spoke to people who either deal professionally with, with depression or who suffer from long-term depression, they've said to me over and over again, please, if it's a reality in your life, seek professional medical help for it. Seek professional medical help for it. But turn to God as well. Because medical help is a gift from God. Turning to the professionals doesn't say, I don't trust in God. Turning to the professionals says, I know that God has given us this amazing tool and I will turn to the professionals and I will turn to Jesus as well. Because I know that Jesus knows what I feel like. I know that Jesus loves me. I know that Jesus has experienced sorrow unto death because that's what he said when he prayed in the garden. Isn't it beautiful that being a follower of Jesus doesn't just inspire us to turn towards Jesus, but it also teaches us to confront the lies in our head. <laughs> that morning, I think the lie that Colleen saw in me was me saying, I've never achieved anything in my life. <laughs> I, I, 
yeah, I, I don't want to overrate my achievements, but that was just nonsense. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You see, God doesn't want us to believe those lies. And sometimes we can't let them go. And so we need to turn to his character, not just to his character, but his people, so that we can hear the truth about ourselves. Not arrogance coming out of our own hearts, but the fact that God loved us and created us and prepared us for good works and saved us so that we can know the truth, the way and the life of Jesus Christ. Final reason, or should I say the second last reason, what the difference that following Jesus makes is that it leads us into a loving, truth-speaking community. Scripture tells us that we must bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I love our church family. I love the fact that our church family seeks to love and support and carry people that are struggling with all sorts of issues. We have this amazing recovery ministry that, that, helps, that helps people who, who suffer from addictions. But, but much more than that, we, we have pastoral counseling and the counseling center and so many other places, life groups and LTCs, where, where we find a truth-speaking, loving community where we can bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Folks, I... I wanna speak for a moment to those of us who don't suffer from depression. And I wanna say that, especially for folk who, who support somebody long-term, it can be incredibly hard. It can be. I think sometimes trying to support somebody with depression can, can be as, as burdensome as the depression itself. But I wanna speak to us and say to us that we mustn't give up, that we mustn't, we mustn't Believe the lie that the person can just get over it or pull themselves together or just quickly sort themselves out. I wanna ask you to make sure that not only are you supporting other people, but that you are getting the support you need so that you can continue to help them. We have no choice, as scripture reminds us, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's not be like Peter, James, and John when Jesus invited them in and said to them, please come with me into the garden because I need you with me to pray and they fell asleep. <laughs> Jesus forgave them, he did, and he will forgive us too because of this final reason why following Jesus should make a difference in terms of this issue of depression. You see, following Jesus gives us access to the one whose light overcame all the darkness and the very deepest darkness. You see, it wasn't just the darkness of sin in this world that Jesus overcame. He overcame the darkness of death. 
of illness, of depression, of every kind of darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Church family, David, the great king, Elijah, the great prophet, suffered with this thing called depression. It would seem that even Jesus suffered some of these symptoms. God invites all of us to be part of this battle, to be part of overcoming the, the darkness, the struggle, the difficulty, because he is the light of the world. And he is one who invites us into being transformed today and tomorrow and forever. I want to spend some time praying for us. And we're going to do something different. I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to ask Evan to come up and play a little bit in the background. And I'm going to pray for anybody who's suffering from depression or perhaps somebody who's, who has a family member who's suffering and who's struggling. But then afterwards, I want to invite some of you, if you want to be prayed for individually, to join a Zoom room. We've put the link out on social media. We'll put the link up on the screen. And, and I want to invite you after the service. Just to hang around a few minutes while we do the technical stuff. And we'll pray for you individually. If you're part of the deaf community, we're sorry we haven't set up that Zoom technology properly in order to be able to do that. But please, if you're part of the deaf community and need prayer around this issue, please get hold of Nikki. She'd love to arrange a special prayer, of a time of prayer for you as well. Lord God, thank you that you are the God of transformation. Lord, we, we understand how some people have struggled with this issue of depression for most of their lives. God, we pray that you will help us as your loving community to reach out and to, not just to the folk in our own congregation, but in our whole community, to help us to be able to deal with this, this black dog called depression. Lord, thank you that you have given us amazing medical remedies. Lord, thank you for, for psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors and doctors and medication. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. God, I, I want to pray for those this morning who are suffering from depression. I want to ask, Lord, that you would lead them into your light. Lord, I want to pray that you will, you will lift the darkness from them. Lord, I want to pray that like David, they will be able to see and, and, and be able to talk to themselves and in their own hearts and say, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Lord Jesus, I want to pray this morning for those who have to support 
sufferers of depression, those, Lord, who, who maybe want to give up, maybe who feel like they can't help this person, they've done everything and it feels like nothing has worked. God, give them ongoing endurance. Give them a reminder that you are with them. Lord, give both those who suffer and those who support those who suffer a realization that they are not in this alone, that they have your Holy Spirit, that they have your word, and that they have this community that will walk with them however long the journey is. Lord, thank you for the truth that your word shows us that even though we can suffer from a thing like depression, it can be overcome and it can be to your glory and your honor and your kingdom. Dear God, thank you that your great love is poured out in all our hearts. Even those who don't feel like they deserve it this morning, even those who don't feel like it's real, even those who, who, because they have chemicals in their brain that are lying to them, are not cut off from your love, your mercy, your grace, your peace, and your refreshing. Lord, we pray that your refreshing will be poured out on all those suffering from depression this morning and all those who support them. And we pray that we will see this Goliath slain. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, God bless you. Thank you for being with us and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Sweet.